Welcome to the Wealth Easy Podcast, your destination for insights on wealth, health, and real estate. I'm your host, John Durbano. I went from former financial advisor for a big bank to now educating people on how to plug your financial leaks and create your rich life without using the stock market. Before we dive in, please hit that subscribe button and share it with others. By subscribing, you're helping the show grow using the algorithm and allows us to get even more successful guests on the show. Now let's begin creating your rich life. Welcome back to the Wealth Easy Show where we talk all things wealth, health, and real estate. Today we have a real special treat for you. We're going to be talking multifamily and joining me is a 15-year real estate veteran. He is the Chief Operating Officer at CPI Capital, a firm that provides investment opportunities by acquiring and improving underperforming apartment buildings. He is the host of a cable TV real estate show, a podcast, and is the founder of the Multifamily Conference. Please welcome to the show, Seth Ferguson. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. 2024 is going to be big for everybody. I think so. You think, you think it's too late now to say Happy New Year? Like, when, when's that cutoff when, <laughs> you cut stop, off? when you stop saying Happy New Year? <laughs> you, you know what? I, I, honestly, with, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way, but we start planning the next year, like, in q3 of the previous year so we're all like as soon as new year hits we're already like balls to the wall going for it so i'm really excited to talk about the fan because a lot of the time i have real estate guys on yeah. and last week we had uh, jazz Takar on and you know he's he's a big real estate guy but this is the first time we're actually getting someone and we're going to talk multifamily. And this is kind of actually my favorite thing to discuss because you know i'm in the real estate business too um i own some real estate um investment properties but not multifamily, so this is your specialty, and this is what I, I really want to, to get into and have the listeners um, hear about. Tell us, what is the real big difference between owning investment properties, like single-family dwellings, versus um, multiple units? Because a lot of our listeners, they, they're investors, but they're not in you know apartments. They don't have something that's got 10, 12, 40 units. You, you specialize in apartment buildings. What really is that big differential? The, the big differential is scale. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, when you are dealing with apartment buildings, you're dealing with multiple units, like you mentioned, 20, 50, 100, 200 units at a time. That's, it's the scale that really drive, that moves the needle for you because once you have scale, now you have different systems and that, and that gives you so many different benefits. Uh, and we can get into that because I, I started out in the single family space mm -hmm. and then I made the transition over, but it, it's really scale. Yeah. So when you're going and you're looking to identify a building, what are some of the characters? Because, you know, I, I listen to um, a lot of Grant Cardone yep. and I've, I've read the, his book, The 10X Mentor, three times. And I've watched some of his stuff and he can he can just go walk around and look at a property. He can identify things right away. I mean, obviously, that takes a lot of time. But for the listeners that are thinking about getting into multifamily, what are some of the big things like when how do you identify an undervalued building yeah you're looking for a couple of different things because re remember we have two value levers that we can pull when we're dealing with apartment buildings one is physical improvements so those are the renovations the physical work you can do and then you have operational efficiencies so that can encompass raising the rents uh, changing the branding hiring new staff building back utilities the, the list goes on and on and on uh, so when we're walking properties and even looking at deals uh, in the initial first pass we're looking for hey how can I either do physical renovations, improvements to the property, or how can I change the operational efficiency of the building? Um, so that's the, that's the nuts and bolts of the property, but quite honestly, when our team's walking 
properties. We either like it or we don't. So as soon as you walk onto a good property, everybody's like, oh, this is a good property because you just feel it. Uh, so that's the intangible side that doesn't really come down to numbers. And then obviously you have to make sure the numbers work after that. Are you a big fan of buying something, rehabbing it and flipping it or buying it, doing some improvements and holding on to it and let it appreciate, raise, raise the rents, raise the cap and then letting it go. What's, what's your philosophy on oh, that? Man. We could, this, this could be a full hour <laughs> on, on its own. This is a great question. So it really, there, there's four main strategies when it comes to commercial real estate, right? You, you can do a core strategy, which is where you're buying a, a premium flagship asset in a premium location in a major metro center, and then you're holding it for the long term. You can do core plus, where you're doing some, a little bit of work, maybe changing the awnings, but it's basically a core asset. Then you have value add, which is our preferred strategy, where we're going in, we're finding an undervalued asset that has some, some things that you can fix uh, in it. And we're doing those fixes, we're driving up the value of the asset, but then we're looking to exit. And then there's opportunistic where maybe there was a fire, there was a flood, there's so something drastically wrong with the property, huge vacancy issues. So those are the four main strategies that you're using. With us, value add is really what we're looking to do because I find that's the perfect balance between uh, risk exposure and also uh, making sure you, you get the, uh, the, the returns you're looking for, a healthy, sizable return. Um, but uh, to answer your question about going into hold periods and then we can get into velocity of capital and all that cool stuff. Um, what, what we're really interested in is uh, the velocity of capital because it's not just return on investment, it's return on equity. So when you have, uh, so let, let's use an example. Let's say we buy a, an asset and uh, we invest X amount of dollars into it. But now we do some improvements. We've actually generated equity, the, the sweat equity in, in the property. Uh, so it's not, you shouldn't be looking at, okay, well, this is my return on my initial investment. Well, how much equity do you have wrapped up? And, and a lot of people don't, don't recognize that the, that untapped equity can also, can sometimes be put to work in other places. So it makes sense to sell, re take that out and then put it into a new project. So you get that velocity, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. How do you determine what amount of money, like when are you going in and you're looking at maybe redoing, say, each unit, you're looking at re, maybe redoing the floors, new cabinets, new countertops, that sort of stuff, maybe throw some lipstick on it. Yeah. At what point do you, you, you estimate the amount of money that you're willing to spend on each unit to raise the rent? Because obviously in Ontario, we have rent controls. Um, so there's only a maximum amount that you could actually rate. How do you, how do you determine what amount? Yeah. Spend? Yeah, and, and this is where knowing your comparables is crucial uh, because you, you always want to find improvements that you can make that have already been proven in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So you, you never want to acquire a property and just go balls to the wall and just put all sorts of money into it if it hasn't been proven. So we're looking for, like you said, lipstick things. So countertops, uh, you know, cupboards, the boxes, vanities, flooring, paint, the basic kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We're not into those he heavy renovations. Maybe take out a wall here and there. That's really all we're looking to do, but we're looking for to take an asset where maybe it's $200 under market uh, rent. Uh, we're looking to take it and find proven comparables, proven comps where, okay, they've done X, Y, and Z here, and now they're achieving this rent premium. That's exactly what we're looking for. Do you try to find buildings that are maybe low vacancy? Or, or high. So, so what I mean by that is, are you looking for buildings that maybe have, say, an 85% vacancy versus, say, a 95% vacancy? 
Um, well, it, it really depends. It, like every deal is unique. So uh, we're like, we look at deals every single week. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes, yeah, what you find when you get into vacancy issues, um, yeah, if it's a management play, perfect, we'll take a look at it 100%. Uh, but, you know, we've got one right now where we're just about to go under contract with it. And the vacancy's good. Like, we're in the 90s already. Okay. Which shows, like, the, the demand's there. Now we can just take it to the next level with that those lipstick improvements, some operational efficiencies, that kind of thing. Um, but, but, yeah, like, I, the thing we stay away from is those opportunistic plays where, hey, it's 40% occupied. They just had a fire. A lot of some people have appetite for that uh, that type of risk, but that's not really what our investors are looking for. Everything always comes down to location, location, location. Always, always. What when you're looking at a building, are you doing any research and finding out things like um, what is the current job market? Are there any large multinationals? Like, is there a Google coming in or is an Amazon coming in? Do you look for those types of of uh, statistics that may uh, drive up? Um, demand in that area for oh, a building? 100%. You know, with, with us, we have a full-time acquisitions guy. So that's all he does. Yeah. So when we do our market selection, yeah, we're looking for the key economic drivers. You know, what type of job creation is happening? Who are the major employers? Uh, is there a, a, a diversity in terms of the employment base? Is it all one sector, all agricultural? Or do we have tech? Do we have uh, government? Do we have military? Like all healthcare? Mm -hmm. um, we're 100% looking um, at that at a macro level. And on a micro level, neighborhood type of level, okay, well, where's the property located? What's around it? Uh, are there nice houses around? Uh, what's the average income in a one-mile radius, three-mile radius? Uh, what types of stores are around? Is it um, a Whole Foods or a Walmart? Is it a, you know, is it Dunkin' Donuts or is it uh, a Starbucks? Mm -hmm. That type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking, when we're walking the property, what types of cars are parked in the parking lot? Uh, are, is everybody home during the day? If so, that's a red flag because... Yeah. Why aren't they working? Uh, and now with virtual stuff, it's changed a little bit. But you're looking for all this type of stuff when you're walking the property. What do the tenants look like? What's your feel? Um, you know, are you know are they well dressed? Are they not well dressed? Like you're just trying to get a feel for who's at the property, and uh, and if it makes sense, you know, like um, if it makes sense, if you get a good feeling, then you keep going. But sometimes you walk a property and you just get the the EBGBs, you can call yeah, it, yeah. and you just know something's off. Those are some actually really good indicators that doesn't even cost you anything. Like you no. said, is there a lot of cars in the parking lot during the day? It means no one's working. Yep. Um, what I got, what kind of cars? Like how are the people? I mean, do you look at uh, do you look at rent roll? Oh, hundred percent. So with apartment yep. buildings, you're looking at what's called the T12, yep. and that gives you the last twelve months of financials for the property. Uh, so you're looking at uh, for some red flags like bad debt, so people not paying late payments. That's a big thing too. Because those are the biggest indicators that you have a tenant issue when you have people not paying, they're skipping town, and then they're always late. Uh, so those are the some of the first things we always look for. And then we're also looking at, well, you know, if they're now selling the property, did you have a huge spike in occupancy a couple months before they listed? Ghost, ghost tenants, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. Ghost tenants, or they're just filling any body with a pulse in yeah. there just to fill it up. Uh, so yeah, all these kind of all these kinds of things, and then there's even situation like there's always horror stories about uh, you know one uh, one seller using a, another property's uh, rent roll for the current property and just changing the name at the top mm. and ju just all sorts of stuff. But so you have to do your homework. Yeah. But there's no substitute for actually walking the property. 
Uh, a lot of people now with the internet think that, oh yeah, I can just buy from my house. No, you actually physically have to go to the asset, walk it, because looking at pictures, like you know this, right? Looking yeah. at pictures is one thing. Actually being there physically, you get the feel of it, very, very different. Yeah, no, 100%. What, um, what markets do you feel are some really good opportunities? Do you just focus in in Canada or are you in the U.S. also? Yeah, with CPI, we're strictly focused in the U.S. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so we do most of our hunting in Florida, Texas, um, you know, Arizona as well. That's where we're doing the uh, the, the bulk of our work. Um, but uh, you know, I've got friends who are crushing it in the apartment space in basically almost every market in Canada mm. and all across the U.S. So, you know, for 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 the U.S., like we went there for uh, a number of specific reasons, like the size of the market, yep. uh, that kind of, and we can get into that as well if you want. Uh, but I, I don't think, in terms of multifamily, there's so many ways, different ways you can slice a cake. Um, it doesn't, location matters, but it really doesn't. You just have to tweak your strategy and how you approach it, um, if that makes sense. Because you can make money anywhere yeah. with real estate. Do you think Florida has run its course? I mean, it's, you know, if, if you look back at the pandemic, I mean, a lot of the blue states, people were escaping the lockdowns and going into Florida and driving up home prices, driving up rent prices. Um, I know Grant Cardone has a big foot mm -hmm. in, in Florida. Do you think it's kind of, do you think it's hit its peak or do you think there's still a lot more opportunity in Florida? Yeah, we feel there's a lot of runway left. Like we're looking at it from a 30 year kind of horizon. And uh, it's, it's very similar uh, to Ontario could say uh, where you have uh, so much uh, demand there for the rental housing product you could keep building and it's just insatiable. And, and when we look at, uh, you know, we, we can talk uh, government policy as well. Mm. Uh, where you that, know, that plays a major role. Huge, huge. <laughs> government well, policies. Well, well, just, you know, you look at Canada during the lockdowns. Yeah. I, there's probably 10 people I can name off that moved out of Ontario or out of Canada and moved to Florida that I know who just packed up yeah. and said, screw this. And now they're doing real estate down there. And Alberta. Alberta as well. Yeah. So policy, you, you look at tax policy, you look at just uh, housing, landlord, tenant uh, laws, right? All, all that kind of stuff. It does play a big, uh, a big role in that. Uh, but yeah, in terms of demand, you, you think about it uh, right now, I walked in, we're in January. It's pretty cold outside. Um, or you could deal with the sun, you know, like, yeah. uh, like so like the nicer weather is fun. Plus, I like the garden style type of apartments where you have pools, you have, uh, you know, green space, you have some trees rather than, you know, mid rise or high rise. And, you know, the warm weather, your pool's open yeah. all year round. Like, yeah. it's just a lot more fun. Do you find when you're looking at buildings in, say, Florida or Texas, are there different aspects of that building that you have to take in consideration versus a building in Ontario where we hit minus sometimes minus 30 degrees or if you're in Alberta right now, minus 45 degrees? Yeah, actually, that's a great question. I remember uh, there was one condo development here in Ontario on the GTA. They actually took the they used the same building style as uh, the builder was in the States as well huge issues when it came to ice. Mm. So they had basically had to reface the entire building and it cost millions of dollars to do. Uh, but, but yeah, what, what we're looking for, obviously in Florida, uh, you know, floodplains, um, if you're uh, close to the coast with the hurricanes coming through, obviously you want to make sure the building's sturdy. Um, and also, uh, you know, down there you get some heat. So, you know, wood frame versus uh, concrete, that, that plays in, uh, a factor in there as well. Uh, but then it's just like in, if you're in Edmonton, 
uh, you know, you're going to make sure that the building, uh, you know, can handle the cold, extreme cold weather too. And uh, so you always look for different things. Uh, but yeah, in Florida, you're looking for uh, floodplains, uh, just, you know, what happens there. And then uh, obviously that impacts your insurance, which is also another, uh, you know, challenge that we have right now. Um, and then just how it handles the heat. There's, there's been a lot of talk for several years now that Florida is sinking. And, you know, these buildings on the on the ocean front, they're going to be all underwater. And, you know, I heard I heard. Do you know Dan Pena? Yeah. 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 I love that guy. <laughs> He's got no filter. Yeah. He's the best. He was at a he was at a I guess he was doing a speaking engagement and someone came up and said, oh, you know, Florida's going. How do you pro- how do you promote this stuff? And Florida's going underwater. He stood up. He said, listen, if Florida would go is going underwater. These fucking banks would not be financing these buildings. They they have the inside. And he goes, "You're full of shit." And yeah. he goes, "I wish I got ahead of uh, of uh, who, who's who's the who was the former VP?" Um, oh, uh, Gore, Al Gore. Al Gore. Yeah. He goes, "I wish I beat him to the punch. It's the greatest scam ever. This whole climate change thing and all this stuff." He goes, yeah. "I would have made millions." He goes, "Good for him." Yeah. So so he's got a real good point when it comes to the banks. Most of them have a real good insight. I mean, if you're financing five hundred million or a billion dollars, I mean, I'm looking at these new buildings going up, like the Bugatti building, you know, in Sunny Isles. You get the new Porsche building, all these great buildings that are going up. Obviously, Florida can't be going under, like sinking, if they're putting all these hundreds of millions of dollars. What's your What's your thoughts on that? Portion of Florida sinks. The world's fucked because yeah. you know, think about how many other places are underwater at that point. Point. You look at the Netherlands in terms of their damming and everything that they're doing there for, for that. Um, so is that a long, maybe a 300-year concern, depending on what happens? Yeah, but, you know, like, I'll be living on Mars. I'm, I'm yeah. with Elon. I'm, I'm going there, right? But Get your deposit down. Yeah, exactly. Our main focus is on Florida sinking. It's, okay, is it in a floodplain? What's the impact there? How does that impact insurance? Those are the main concerns right now. We are not concerned about Florida sinking. Yeah. Like that's, that's not the concern. Plus like you, you look at it, everywhere there, there's issues in terms of like flooding or even water supply, you know, but like in the States, you've got the U S uh, army Corps of engineers, very smart people. Like they're, they're handling water supply issues uh, in a couple States and all that kind of stuff. Um, very smart people way above my pay grade. You feel the hurricanes are getting stronger, like more fierce, like down oh, in for, Florida? For sure, for sure. You look at the major weather events, and that's why right now in Florida, you have uh, insurance uh, costs have gone up. But it's uh, huge, huge costs. Significantly. Uh, so, you know, that we've got some strategies that we're using right now um, that where we have a competitive advantage uh, in terms of offering on properties because we're able to do insurance one way because of kind of what we're doing with it. Um, which gives us an advantage when it comes to best and final. Um, so, how, how are you finding? Look, you got to insure the building. Yeah. Um, are you finding that the cost of this insurance um, justifies, you know, purchasing, say, in the state of Florida versus Texas? Yeah. Well, th- there's pros and cons to all, every all sorts of markets, and then people even mention the Midwest as well. Um, so it, it really comes down to, hey, what markets are you really confident in for the long term? Mm-hmm. Where do you feel the jobs are going to be created in the long term? Where is everybody moving to? Where, where's the populate? Where do you have that young population moving in who's prime working age, who's going to be driving that economy? That's really what we're looking for. 
Um, insurance costs, yeah. Um, have they, you know, tripled in some cases? Absolutely. Have they killed a lot of deals? Yes. You know, you know, uh, going back over the past uh, even year and a half, uh, as the market has kind of shifted, you know, we we would make an offer on one property. Uh, the seller would stay firm. Market continued to shift. They come back to us, and now it doesn't work because of insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, th that's certainly one challenge that that we're working on. Um, you know. With our team, like we've got a couple ways to get around that, so it doesn't really impact us as hard as it would some other operators. But for sure, like it, it's something you have to pay attention to. How important is cap rate when when looking at a building? Um, not and for the listeners, yeah. for the listeners who don't understand what cap rate, maybe you can explain what a cap rate is. Yeah, for, in, in plain speak, it's really how much money, uh, how much an investor is willing to pay you for each dollar of NOI net operating income the property produces. Because with commercial assets, you're buying, you're not yes, you're buying real estate, but you're really buying the business that happens to be tied to real estate. So you're basically paying the income that that it uh, produces. Uh, so with cap rates, yeah, some people are of the school, yeah, I only buy a building at X cap rate. Uh, we find when you get into uh, the, the larger apartment buildings, like it's not, yeah, there's the market cap, but we're looking, looking for uh, the, the rent premium. How can we grow the rents? What are the opportunities to drive value in the asset? The cap rate is basically secondary or tertiary to that. When we're doing the underwriting and modeling, yeah, we're, we're looking at, okay, well, what's the market gonna be like in five years? What's our best estimate? What's our worst case scenario? What do we think? And yeah, cap rate plays a, a factor in that. But uh, are we only buying buildings within a certain cap? No, that, that's not. We're looking for quality assets where we can drive the value, uh, use those two value levers and, and have a solid business plan in it. We're not buying based on cap rate. So if someone's looking at a building, um and I, and I get this from clients who who, yeah. ask, who ask me to, you know, look for multifamily stuff, say yeah. in Alberta or say it's in, you know, the one thing is, well, what's the cap rate on it? You know, I don't want nothing below a five cap. Yeah. And it's like, you know, in Toronto, I think if you had a four, if you find something with a four cap, you're doing really good in Toronto <laughs> with a four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, and I, I think that's just, um, there's, there's different levels and um, of, I guess, like you could call it like sophistication in terms of looking at deals. And, um, you know, some of my best friends who are crushing it in the space, they don't like it doesn't even factor. Mm -hmm. And they're at, you know, billions of dollars in terms of AUM. And it doesn't really factor in. They're looking for, hey, how can I take the property from this level to this level? And quite honestly, if the cap rate's lower, that means there's more money at the end of the day because yeah. each dollar of NOI produced is worth more. Um, so, like, every, you know, most people watch Shark Tank and, uh, you know, they're used to, you know, the sharks paying a multiple of the revenue produced. Um, but with cap rates, it's an inverse of a multiple. Uh, so, what, so, you know, for each dollar of NOI produced, like, as you go up the scale, it becomes more and more valuable, that, that, that dollar. Uh, so if if you're comparing a, a four cap versus a six cap, huge difference. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Share with my listeners um, a success story that that you found an underperforming apartment building and and you're able to turn around. Can oh yeah, you, I'm sure you have many. Yeah. So so right now with CPI, uh, we're just under a thousand units, um, and uh, the next deal we're working on right now will take us over. So we're really pumped for that. I'll talk about the one we're currently doing right okay. now. Um, so we're about to release it. Uh, we're just waiting for some due diligence items right now. Um, this is, uh, it's, uh, let, let's call it low hundreds in terms of unit size. And, uh, there's actually an interesting component in the deal where, 
it, there is a HOA. So uh, a handful of units are still owned by individual owners, but like we've got a hundred and something units just owned by the property itself. So part of our business plan is to collapse the HOA mm -hmm. and take over those assets. So now we'll be a hundred percent owned and we have full, we already have, we would already have control of the HOA, but now we have full control of the entire property. And that's a huge part of the business plan. Plus, you know, we have the lipstick renos. We're able to go in, do the work, uh, drive up the rents because the, the rents are underperforming significantly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think out of all the deals we've looked at in the past, I'd say four or five months, this one's our favorite. And uh, we were awarded the deal. So we're just waiting on some due diligence. But yeah, in, in terms of the business plan, this is like a five-year hold. So we go in, uh, you know, year one is the HOA issue. We're doing the, the lipstick uh, renos. And then year two, three is managing. And then four and five, then we're looking at exit options. And and for people listening who don't know what HOA is, it's a homeowners association. That, that's right. And you get you don't get those really so much in Canada, but in the States, definitely uh, homeowners associations do exist. And they basically have rules and bylaws of things that you can and cannot do and they make sure yeah. that uh, i know because I, I had a home in sarasota florida i spent my winters for six years yeah, yeah. and you know the homeowners association would come and if you don't have the your your lawn trim a certain way or if your garbage is out too long like your or there's a car on the road they, they come out and, and they they give you warning so they kind of govern it do you yeah. feel that you're looking for buildings that don't have HOA? Yeah, so, so generally speaking, we're looking at assets where, you know, it's like, let's say it's a 120 unit apartment building. It's just, it, it's it's one sole owner, there's no HOA. This one's mm -hmm. a little unique where it used to be all individual titles. Uh, so the, the best example would be like a, a Canadian equivalent. It's like a condo association kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the vast majority, like 90, six or 97 percent of the uh the, the units are owned by the one owner and then we just have a handful left over like the legacy individual owners uh so what we're not what we're not we're not exclusively looking for those opportunities uh but this deal it was presented to us it hit all the boxes for what we're looking for um you know the sellers are um you know like they're on the same page in terms of where the market is everything lined up and we're able to hit, hit our targets for our investors so we pulled the trigger so. How, do, how do how do you get these deals like do do you have like other realtors and other people that just know you they're bringing you these deals or you have guys that are actively looking for stuff how do you find these deals yeah so, so paul is our um acquisitions director so his full-time job is hunting deals mm -hmm. so th that's what he does full-time um which is uh which is a, he's an awesome team member um on the team and uh, yeah, so but there's a couple different things. So through your connections, so lawyers, you know, accountants, you know, they're like, hey, I actually know somebody who's in a bit of trouble. Uh, are you looking for this type of asset? Perfect. Uh, and there was actually, um, I think it was a three, a three pack or four pack of properties uh, a number of months ago where we got an inside scoop just through a legal connection um, that nobody else knew the property mm -hmm. was going to be up for sale. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously you have brokers. So with commercial real estate, you're generally going direct to the listing broker. So broker relationships are huge. Lender relationships are huge. And also property management relationships are huge because they're the ones managing all the properties. So mm -hmm. they know mm -hmm. uh, who's looking at selling. They, they know who's, uh, who's doing what uh, for what renos, what went well, what rents are being achieved, what they would do differently next time. So all those different, um, like I always talk about the deal flow funnel. 
and you always want multiple avenues of getting into that, that that top of funnel. What's your sweet spot amount of units? Is there is there like a minimum that you won't go past or a maximum? Or what's well, what do you, what do you find is your sweet spot? Yeah, our buy box right now is generally like a hundred to two hundred and fifty three hundred units. That, that's kind of what we're looking for. Good size. Yeah, yeah. Now, now obviously the goal is to scale as we keep growing uh, to scale into the, the even larger portfolio sales. Mm -hmm. But right now we're a hundred to two hundred units. You mentioned property management yes. and sometimes they come. How important is the property management to the deal? Do you find sometimes you go in and you f you just you fire them and you bring in all, all your new guys? Yeah, so so generally speaking when you acquire an asset, you're putting in your own people. Um, so mm -hmm. and this is why with apartment buildings you want the closing date pretty tight. Because uh, think of it this way, if you're managing the property, you know you're losing your job in two months. So your care factor naturally goes down. So you don't want to have like a five-month closing because you know that property is not going to be managed as, as it once was. Uh, yeah, so generally speaking, it, with few exceptions, you'll keep the, uh, the, the management company. But generally, you're going to bring in your own people. If the leasing agent's really good, if you have a dedicated leasing agent, you'll keep them on. Uh, because they know the property if their numbers are there. But sometimes we walk a property, we meet the manager on site, and it's like, yeah, uh, we're making a change if we get this one. Because you just get the feel, right? Yeah. Just yeah. maybe not professional or, or, or whatnot. Well, you can just see the appearance of the property, too. He's just he's sure. not taking care of it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so sometimes the manager will take you around the property when you're doing the site, the site walk, and uh, you just, it's like, nah, it's, it's not a fit. So you just know, hey, when you're doing your uh, your business plan, we need to find a new manager. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What size of a down payment versus, um, say, in Canada or the U.S.? Is the down payment pretty much the same? Because definitely you're not putting 10% down and you're not putting 20. Is it fine? You got to generally put about 30, 35% down on something like this? Yeah. It, it to really, get financing? Yeah. So it really depends. Um, in the U.S., you've got uh, some different options that we have here in Canada. But generally speaking, like when you're buying larger apartment buildings, you're not going to leverage it to the hilt. Um, that's that's not what you're going to do. Um, so, you know, we're aiming to go in and maybe, you know, leverage to 70%, maybe sometimes even 65%, mm. uh, depending on the underwriting, you know, maybe we'll push to 75% leveraged, but we're not talking, you know, like a little bit of equity in there because you want security and, 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 and you want, uh, and your investors expect that as well. Now, if somebody's investing with you, you're not like they wouldn't want to risk their money in a hundred percent finance deal or a ninety-five percent finance deal. Like that, that's the risk exposure there is pretty pretty big, and the, the lender's not really in favor of that either. Um, plus, that's going to hurt your uh, debt service coverage ratio, your DSCR, and most lenders are going to want that wiggle room in case something happens, uh, the revenue drops. Uh, you know, uh, they need to make sure that they're able to get paid on on, on the debt side. Um, but in Canada here, you know, CMHC. Uh, they have the uh, the uh, the select program uh, now, and uh, so you can get some pretty attractive uh, financing options, long amortization, um, you know, uh, low uh, low equity, you know, up to you know as low as five percent. Even though in practice uh, it can be a little bit higher, but they make you jump through a whole lot of hoops to get it. Um, I'm also in the mortgage business, and yeah. I get a lot of I I do a ton of mortgages for single family homes. Um, and the underwriting is very different. I mean, when you're, when you're looking to buy a single family home, they look at your borrowing capacity. Yes. Yep. Now explain what the underwriting process is like on commercial. 
Yeah, so on the commercial side, the asset is really at the forefront, not necessarily the borrower. Uh, so, you know, like you said, when you buy a house and, you know, if so somebody comes to you, they need uh, they need you to help them out with the mortgage. It's like, okay, well, what's your income? Yeah. <laughs> and then what are your expenses? And this is what you qualify for. Uh, with, with a commercial asset, obviously, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, so they're looking at your business plan of the property, you know, because uh, um, the lender's going to look at your underwriting. Uh, the insurance guys are looking uh, at all that stuff. The broker's looking at your underwriting. The seller oftentimes wants to see your underwriting. So it's just, there, there's more work that goes into it and, and they want to understand your business plan. What do you see in the property? How, where do you want to take it? What's your experience level? Now, that being said, uh, you know, especially when you're dealing with larger loans, generally you're going to bring on somebody called a KP, a key principal, if uh, the principals of the company don't have the net worth. So if we're seeking a $50 million loan, my net worth is not $50 million, uh, maybe one day, but right now, not, not even close. So we seek out a key principal who has the balance sheet. And so the lender wants to make sure that uh, some lender, every lender is a little bit different, but let's say you're looking for a loan of $50 million. They're looking for somebody with a balance sheet of at least $50 million, if not exceeding that, uh, to, to sign and guarantee the loan. They don't only look at, say, the asset and what the uh, property is producing. They also look at a principal and they want to see that kind of same net worth as a guarantor yeah, generally not yes. just the building no no like there's always exceptions and, and it's very nuanced but generally speaking uh the lender with a larger um you know purchase price they're looking for a, a kp with with that net worth and obviously they're looking at the team as well you know what kind of experience does the uh the gp uh, team have uh, what's their track record? What kind of experience does the property manager, uh, manager have? Like they, they want to make sure that if they're lending you the money, you're not going to botch it and, mm -hmm. and kill the deal. So mm -hmm. they, they're looking for competence, experience, and uh, you know, th there's recourse versus non-recourse uh, uh, opportunities where, you know, are, are the uh, personal assets up for grabs if something goes wrong? Uh, that would be recourse. If not, that's a non-recourse loan. But, uh, but yeah, generally you're going to need a, a key principal if you're doing uh, some larger stuff. And then there, there are uh, smaller community banks that, that may not have, um, that may not require that. Uh, you know, that there's several um, wh where they can finance it without having a KP. It really depends. Mm. You yeah. talked about your investors. I know there's several different ways that, you know, people are thinking about getting into this and may not have the down payment or themselves but there's other ways they can create to say a syndicate mortgage they yep. can do crowdfunding they can do what are some of the ways that someone who's thinking about getting into multifamily they can raise money to to leverage themselves into something like this yeah 100 percent. and before we get into that i'll just say if you're looking at raising money speak with a securities lawyer um you just go on social media every day and there's people who are on the wrong side yeah. of the legislations <laughs> and uh, they're going to get themselves in trouble so but, but yeah, if you're looking at raising money, if the deal's smaller and you're only looking for a handful of people, um, some so, sort of joint uh, venture partnership works really well, uh, where maybe one person uh, finds the deal, one person can manage it, one person can sign for the loan, and one person's bringing the cash. Uh, that's the real estate matrix. I, I call it the real estate matrix, the four components of every deal. You need the deal, the financing, the management, and the equity. Uh, so if, if you have four partners, everybody brings a piece, perfect. And then you can slice and dice it from there. Uh, but if you're looking at raising larger amounts of money, um, you know, the syndication model uh, works right, uh, works really well. 
Um, it gives you some flexibility in terms of shares and, and voting rights and, and how you structure things. So you can get a little bit more complex with it. But syndication is really a Wall Street construction. And Wall Street does one thing really, really well, which is raise a whole lot of money and deploy it efficiently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so you know, when applied to real estate, you can raise uh, a large amount of money, uh, deploy it efficiently into a deal. And, uh, and the structures um, you know, afford the passive investors, the LPs, uh, some extra protections in terms of liabilities and, and stuff like that too. So if you're raising a lot of money, uh, do the syndication approach. Um, your lawyer's gonna thank you. And, and obviously when you get proper legal advice, they'll steer, steer you in the right way so you don't get in trouble. Uh, like some people end up, uh, you know, they end up in a, in a bad spot because they did not listen to their uh, lawyers. Do you think people that are just going to go out and just do a raise, um, should they set up a, uh, a limited liability corp and have a general partner in that? Yeah, so this is where your lawyer is going to help advise you uh, in terms of how you're going to structure it, um, whether you're on the Canadian side of the border, on mm -hmm. the U.S. side of the border. Um, but, but yeah, like you want to make sure you're doing everything above board. So yeah, just if you need to raise money, even though you know you don't don't think you need to talk talk with the lawyer, spend you know the five hundred bucks, thousand bucks, spend a couple hours with them, get the advice, and they'll tell you exactly how to do it and, and the benefits of doing it this this way, the benefits of doing it that way, because you'll have a couple different options. Just listen to your lawyer. Yeah. yeah, I always say CYA, cover your ass. Yeah, cover your ass. Yeah, get get the legal advice. I mean, the five thousand dollars to sit down with a lawyer is probably gonna. Be well worth instead of getting sued for millions. Oh man, or end up in jail. Or end up like, in jail. Like, yeah. like there's so many situations over the past couple of years of people getting nailed, and it's when you look at it, like it shouldn't be that way. Like, like it's so easy to get legal advice, but every day, you know, you go on Instagram or on Facebook, people are breaking the law, mm -hmm. but posting things, guaranteeing returns, you know, trying to raise money, um, you know, in a public forum when they don't have a public offering, like all this kind of stuff. So, so don't do it. Talk with a lawyer. What would you be advice your advice for someone who's thinking about getting into multifamily? Where would you say they should start? Like what what amount of units do you think would be a good start for someone just to just to build the experience before they start moving up into the bigger stuff? Yeah, so so this is one of the things I wish I did differently um, in real estate. I, if I could go back in a time machine, I'd tell myself to go bigger um, off the bat. Uh, the, the reason is there's more meat on the bone. Um, it's more, it's more of an exciting deal. Uh, and chances are you can bring on some partners to help you. So like I always make the comparison is a smaller deal riskier or a bigger deal. Most people would say, well, you know, the big deal is too risky. I'm just starting out. I'll do the smaller deal, but think about it this way on the larger deal, your cash flow is going to be better. So you have more wiggle room for mistakes and you will make mistakes. You can afford to bring on a partner who's done it before. Uh, with a small deal, you probably can't because there's no money left over. Uh, so another benefit to the bigger deal, you're going to get better lending terms with the bigger deal. So that's going to improve your cash flow and the stability of the property. Uh, you're going to be able to weather some storms. So one tenant moves out, the small deal that has a big impact on your uh, on your revenue. Larger deal, you absorb things a little bit better. Like the list goes on. So if I could go back in time, I would I would tell myself just think way way bigger. The the issue I had was. You know, I didn't just I didn't understand what was out there. So I didn't realize that there were trillions of dollars looking for a home in, in real estate. I, I didn't realize that you could use these uh, structures to deploy capital. Um, so I, I think, you know, when people are starting out, it's just you don't know what you don't know. So educate yourself first. Mm -hmm. Understand the game you're playing. Uh, find don't reinvent the wheel because somebody's already figured it out and made all the mistakes. Don't reinvent the wheel. 
and, and just just model success. So find somebody who's done it successfully and model exactly what they did. I think that's a, that's really good advice. Don't yeah. try this on your own if you haven't done it. Partner up with someone who has yeah. the experience. You know, be be an equity lender. You know, be an equity equity partner. Yeah, and and learn it and then build together. I love you know. And what you talk about, you you would do things bigger, is like Grant Cardone says, go bigger, go bigger. Yeah, exactly, hundred <laughs> percent, right? And and you know, you think about all the different ways you can add value in a deal. So let let's say I I had uh, a cousin of mine actually uh, sent me a message on Instagram asking what he should do. Um, I told him he should find the most successful real estate investor within a couple hours drive and work with him for free for a couple of years. Because you're going to learn all the systems, you're going to learn the business inside and out, you're going to see what actually happens. Once you've learned the systems, just go out on your own, you replicate the systems, you add your own twist on it. Like you look at the best companies out there that churn out startups. People go work for them, they learn the playbook, and then they go start on their own. The mistake I made was I tried figuring it out on my own, which was dumb when you think about it, because there's so many people who have already figured it out. Like real estate's been around for thousands and thousands of years. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Like like the formula is pretty simple. Uh, it's just the nuances that you have to pick up. Yeah, that's so, re that's really yeah. good advice. Let's talk multifamily conference. Yeah, let's do it. Because uh, I was I was on your link last night. You yeah. you made some big announcements. Um, how how did you come up with the idea to to be the founder and create such an amazing and growing every year? I mean, I was at it last year. I was front row and center yeah yeah you couldn't miss me my blue my uh, you, my you were well dressed yes. yeah well dressed. um and and i see it's growing what what made you think of developing this i mean that's that's a huge risk because i saw how big it was last year you had thousands of people you you had the whole north hall of the the convention center i mean that's yeah. a massive undertaking yeah. and kudos to you for having the balls to take that that leap of faith and that risk so yeah. What made you just think that I'm going to develop this? Uh, frustration. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll, I'll put it this way. If I knew how hard it would be, I don't think I would have done it. Okay. Like It, it was my, my ignorance was, uh, was helpful there. And, and it was really, I remember at the start of the lockdown, I was in my then girlfriend's uh, condo uh, watching Shark Tank. Kevin O'Leary was grinding somebody for a deal. I I don't know what it was, but I just turned to her and said, you know what, I'm going to have Kevin at a real estate conference. Because I remember when I was making the transition from single family homes to multifamily, I, I was pretty frustrated at the lack of quality education and knowledge out there. Yeah, there were a couple options. Um, I always tell the story of I bought this like thousand dollar course and they mailed me an actual binder and it was just flipping through the pages. And for a thousand, I think it was like two grand. I said, Are you kidding me? And I was looking for help and I, I couldn't find it. So that was always a big frustration of mine. So when I started building out the conference, I said, okay, I'm going to make this for who I used to be, but also for the, the top producers as well. So like at the conference, we have many different layers to it. It's like an onion. Uh, so, you know, we have people who are over a billion dollars in AUM, they come and they get something out of the conference, but then we also have brand new beginners come and they get something different. So a lot of thought goes into making sure that we have those multiple layers hit. So last year you had Grant Cardone. Yep. You had Alex Rodriguez. Yep. Um, I was a VIP ticket holder. Yes. I got to go to the uh, VIP parties, the networking events. They were all fabulous. Got to meet like-minded people, which was really cool. And I got to meet Alex Rodriguez yep. and have a, a fire a fireside chat with Grant Cardone. 
you you made a big announcement last night of the speakers for 2024. Why don't you tell us who's coming? We, we did. Well, I left on a cliffhanger for the last one. You did one. for the last I, one. I, I got in trouble. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, this year, uh, Robert Herjavec. Uh, so we went back to the Shark Tank. Canadian. Yeah, Canadian. Um, so Robert Herjavec is, is coming out. Uh, Kevin O'Leary was fantastic our first year. So we went back to the tank. And then the second speaker is Jordan Belfort. Uh, of uh, you know, author of Way of the Wolf, uh, sales trainer extraordinaire. Uh, so with Jordan Belfort, he's running a workshop uh, just for our VIP tickets on improving our capital raising conversations. How we how do we better close? How can we improve our pitches? Robert's running a special sessions for VIPs uh, on this on the Sunday now too. And then we've got the third speaker that I can't say just yet, uh, but the ladies are going to be uh, pretty happy with who we have. And for people who don't know who Jordan Belfort is, if anyone has watched The yeah. Wolf of Wall Street, it was based on his character, his life. Exactly. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a pretty interesting story. And, uh, you know, he said that uh, that's as crazy as the movie was, real life was even crazier. So I can just imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll have to ask him uh, backstage. Yeah. So you've got several levels yeah. of... of uh, fees or costs that people can pay would yeah. you talk about those levels and what what they currently are because they are going to go up there's a there's a deal going on right now but they will be going up yeah for sure and you know we have to get you your affiliate link so everybody can click your link uh, when this goes live yeah uh but uh but yeah so we've got really three ticket levels um and uh i should just preface it by saying on uh, there's conferences on the 24th 25th and 26th of may so what we do is on the friday we have a workshop and this year Last year, we maxed out capacity in the room. We weren't expecting that many people for the workshop. Uh, so this year, we have it split into two tracks. We have a beginner. Uh, so that's perfect if you're just getting started. We'll get you the foundation. And then we have an advanced uh, track. Uh, so we've got an elite, an elite ticket. So that gets you in Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then we have a Friday uh, networking mixer for everybody as well. We have uh, platinum. So this is where uh, you know you get special networking uh, access. So we have special events for Platinum. We have a special workshop. It's just a smaller group of people. Uh, we sell out every year for Platinum, and it's just more curated networking time. Um, and then VIP, which is honestly the best ticket we have available. Uh, last year, we rented out the CN Tower. This year, uh, we've got a black tie event at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Uh, we've got so you get more access to the speakers like it's just non-stop networking like you, you were there last year yeah. uh like there's some pretty cool people in the room um so vip is definitely the best ticket and we sell out every year um so it's uh yeah it's pretty special and i would say people that are listening to this show if you want to be anywhere and you want to meet People who are investors that have money to lend you think about doing something or you want to partner up or you're looking uh, just to get involved in real estate. This is the one place that you want to be because there is massive networking opportunities. Oh, hu huge. I We should start tracking how many. I wish there was a way we could track how many deals happen at the conference because I get messages all the time from people like we have people showing up at the conference who exited a company and they're looking to invest with somebody in real estate. Mm -hmm. So like millions of dollars, they're coming looking for people. People are looking for partnerships. They're looking for deals. They're looking at uh, like some uh, to do a joint venture with something. Like there's so much potential there for sure. How can people uh, find 
the multifamily conference if they want to purchase a ticket is there a website they could go to or how yeah. can how can they find it or, or yeah or are you going to give me a link and they can just log on and boom get their tickets yeah we're, we're going to get you set up with your affiliate link and then okay. uh, they'll just click that special link and uh and yeah you can just buy their tickets and uh, what we do is uh, we want to reward action takers uh so you know the price goes up very consistently every mm -hmm. couple of weeks uh so you don't want to wait with this stuff especially with the vip or platinum because they always sell out uh so you always want to make sure you buy your ticket cheaper rather than more expensive yep. right before yeah. and, and and i'm one of those guys I'll, I'll admit i saw i saw it last year it was four grand yeah and then i waited and i waited i hemmed i hot about it do i want to go what am i going to get out of this and by the time i pulled the trigger it was five grand yeah and i complained to go i go i just saw it last week at four grand she says well it went up to five i said well can you talk to seth I'm like that's the price. It, it goes up. So I got stuck paying the five grand. So I'm not doing that this year. <laughs> no, no, that's right. That, that, that's right. Yeah, you, you learned. And uh, and so, some people, it's kind of funny. They'll send messages, be like, oh, I thought you were full of shit. It's like, no, like, it's, it is it is what it is. And uh, and yeah, so, and with VIP, like, we every year we've done it, it's always sold out. Uh, so it's more just, like, for numbers and planning. And, and we know who's there because, like, we want to track who's in VIP. Uh, just because we can make some introductions to people and stuff too. So the sooner we get that filled, the better. And I, I have to say, I'm really happy to hear that you're adding tables for the yes. VIPs because last year I'm sitting and I got the notepad on my lap. I'm trying to write. So thank you for putting the table oh, yeah. there for the VIPs. That's, that's oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Well, like every year we're trying to make it better. And yeah. like there's some things like there's so we have a full-time team that works on this conference all year round. Yeah. And there's always things that it's like, oh, why didn't we think of that? And the tables was one of the things. It's like, like, why didn't we think of putting tables for the VIP? So we fixed that for this year. So we're always making tweaks. Do you yeah. ever think of maybe in your exhibition uh, area, because you have the exhibitors area, maybe having like a, a podcast booth and having different people doing podcasts and interviewing people? What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, that's one of the ideas on the drawing board oh, cool. uh, right, right now. Um, and one of the things uh, we want to do for this year is have a huge networking lounge. So right smack dab in the middle. Uh, and we're actually expanding. So this year, we've got Hall C as well. So we've got, it's like 170,000 or 180,000 square feet. It, it's a big space. Uh, so we're doing a huge networking lounge right in the middle. So we'll have tables, couches. So that's the place where everybody will congregate hey meet me here in this part kind of thing uh but yeah in terms of pocket we're looking at all sorts of different stuff in terms of just engaging people uh, you know like creators like yourself who have podcasts like that's that's perfect right so uh, yeah we're trying to make this like even better well, yeah i'm really i'm really excited uh for this year's event that's that's gonna be awesome oh yeah and especially the black tie at uh Oh yeah, at the Art Gallery. That's, well, that's a nice. That's a nice little. Uh, well, you always edition. come in nice suits. Thank so, uh, so yeah, like I, I, I'm looking to see what you're rocking uh, at the. Black I've got time. a few more. I, I actually had my tailor on um, a few episodes ago. Nice. Um, and he brought. He, he. It's so funny. He, he brought his suitcase of fabrics, and I said, you know, what's 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 coming up for uh, for next spring? And he flipped open his his platelet of Ariston fabric, and I and it was like the first one I looked at. I said, oh, that's really nice. I said, I think I got to order that. And after the show, I said, Socks, order me that one. He's actually delivering. He he brought the first fitting. The suit fits amazing. Nice. It's It came out so nice. I did it in a double breast. And uh, he just had to do a couple little tweaks. And he's actually dropping it off to me uh, tomorrow. So oh, I'm pretty excited about for that. And then it's, it's so funny because he knows every time he drops one off, like, a, 
All right, let's make up another one. Show, yeah. show me your show me your uh, palettes. Yeah. Well, okay. Question: uh, Would you go um, a sh uh, for a black tie event? Would you go shawl for your lapels, or like what kind of lapels would you do? Shawl, uh, peak, or, or well, uh, shawl or peak? My so I have I have uh, I have two tuxedos, mm -hmm. and they're both a nice peak. The lapel is mm -hmm. a nice peak. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I'm I'm keep telling my fiance that I'm going to get uh, like do a do another tux i'm kind of i'm kind of feeling the sean connery with like the shawl let me let kinda, me connect you with my yeah. my tailor guy's amazing i think we talked we talked we, at the we, cn we did, tower we did. I, i'm a loyal guy though i love oh, you my have guy? i love my okay. guy okay all right i love my he's taking really good care of me then, but, then, uh, I, then yeah. stick with him he yeah. takes good care of you because yeah. he's got all your measurements because i could i could call socks up and say um i need a couple tux tuxedo shirts yeah He's got all my measurements, no problem. What do you want? What kind of buttons? Do you want your name on it? It's done. He he has everything in his phone. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, like actually, funny story. So for the first conference we did, my guy hand delivered my suit like the like right before the event started because like we were there at the venue <laughs> yeah. and it was there was you know some delay and stuff because we had to make some last minute tweaks. So he he drove all the way to the venue to hand deliver the suit. So that's I, service. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's notch. that's the bespoke service. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get what you pay for. That's it. Yeah. So you also teach. Yeah. You have a course and you teach people how to finance and find these deals. You want to just talk about that? It's a plug in how oh, people yeah, can yeah, find yeah. and get your course. Yeah, for, for sure. It's called the apartment accelerator. And where that really came from was, again, like my own frustration looking for help with this kind of stuff when I was learning and I didn't really find it. Mm -hmm. uh, so ba basically with apartment accelerator, it takes you from ground zero, knowing being a brand new beginner all the way through to getting your first deal done. So we walked through through everything. And, uh, you know, we, we've had uh, we've had some good success through the program, uh, some really cool stories. Uh, at, last year at the conference, we had a couple students uh, pop up. But, yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool because uh, you take somebody uh, who is just starting out. They have a lot of uh, fire, but they don't have the uh, the knowledge yet. And it's so rewarding to see them go through the whole process and like walk properties, get their deal done. It's really, really cool. Uh, so if you're interested in that, just go to. Um, uh, apartment theapartmentaccelerator.com, the and uh, you can sign up and uh, for a call, and uh, we'll we'll see if it's a good fit. That's awesome. Yeah. I just want to kind of touch on some of personal life. So, yeah, yeah. So what people don't know is you were a professional referee, a hockey. Oh referee. man, yeah. That's I'm all washed up now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm all washed up. But back in the day, back in the day, that was my passion. And to be honest, if I could make that my full time job, I would do that in a heartbeat. Really? Oh man. That, so that's did my you passion. did you do NHL games? No, no, no. Um, so I, I got up uh, to doing some pro leagues um, in the States, uh, but uh, no, I n never made it to the NHL. A lot of the guys I worked with um, in the OHL um, are ref like turn on the TV. It's like, oh, that's so-and-so. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, my, my journey with hockey went down to the States uh, for a year, uh, lived out of a suitcase, East Coast, West Coast, North, South, all over. It, it, it was a lot of fun, uh, right? And then... Uh, Came back here to Ontario, worked the OHL um, for, I think, nine years I was doing that. Got to see players like McDavid on the ice, uh, Max Domi, Taylor Hall. like uh, All the guys coming up. All those guys. Like, and just McDavid was unreal. He's unreal. Un right unreal. Yeah. But it was it was so cool to do. Um, and then when my son was born, I, I packed it in um, because driving four hours in the middle of the night was not fun anymore. So. Yeah. 
And another thing you have a passion for is you play the bagpipes. Oh, man, yeah. (laughs) Did did Katie send you the embarrassing bio? Is that what happened? My my son goes to St. Andrews in Aurora. So so I told him, I said, buddy, you know, I'd love for you to learn to play the bagpipes. Like, that is just so cool. Yeah, you know, it is a cool instrument. And uh, when I was younger, um, I I played a little bit with this, uh, like, Celtic kind of band that toured around a little bit. And it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We had a drum kit. We had guitar, obviously, uh, bass, and then bagpipes. It, it was it was a How lot of fun. How hard is it to play? Uh, I play a whole bunch of instruments. Bagpipes, hardest instrument out of all of them. Because it's it's really physical, right? You need the stamina because uh, you got to, like, squeeze the bag. We, we, the, the joke is you got to blow finger and squeeze for 20 minutes without <laughs> stopping. So that's why pipers are the best lovers in the world. So uh, that's, that's the joke. But, um, but yeah, so it's very physical yeah. uh, instrument. So it's not like you're playing the flute or something where it's just uh, technique. It's, it's physical plus you have the musical talent. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So just uh, to wrap it up, yeah. if there's one piece of advice that you could give to our younger generation, what would that be? Yeah, I, I would say think bigger. Yep. Think bigger and actually do it. Uh, because, you know, I, I remember in my 20s, I had so many big ideas, I just never did it. And I kicked myself. And what, what I've learned now is if you have a big idea, like the conference is a perfect example. You have a crazy idea, you fucking made it happen. Like, like it's just... Execute. Yeah, just just do it. Yep. A- and if you have the bigger idea, the, the bigger idea you have, the more other people will get excited about it and want to help you. So, you know, with the conference, I'm fortunate. I had a big idea. We launched. And the support, like, it wouldn't happen without the support of so many people. Well, even, you know, you came. Like, that, that's that's huge support, right? People who buy tickets, the, the sponsors, the people who help out behind the scenes, uh, all that kind of stuff. So the bigger your idea, the better it's going to sell. And just just go big. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. That's great yeah. advice. Yeah. So you're, you're active on social media. Why don't you yeah. give, us, uh, give us how... People can follow you on Instagram or... Yeah, or, yeah, for, for sure. So uh, with YouTube, uh, we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos about real estate investing mm-hmm. on YouTube. Uh, so just uh, go youtube.com slash Seth Ferguson, best way to find me. And on Instagram, the handle Seth Ferguson Official because uh, somebody stole Seth Ferguson. So we had that official <laughs> at the end. Okay. Yeah. Well, Seth, that, this yeah. has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah. I, I, lear- I learned more about multifamily, and I hope our listeners did too. So yeah. um, that's all for today. Thank you for listening in. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Johnny Dr. Bano. You can find us on uh, YouTube, uh, Wealth Easy Show, uh, also on Spotify. So please be sure to subscribe and uh, share with others. Take care of your health and take care of your wealth.